good morning. I'd like to uh, open the second day of our retreat. Uh, could I have the roll call, please? Trustee Lawrence? Here. Trustee DeVries? Here. Trustee Hernandez? Here. Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Jensen? Here. Trustee Lujanani will be absent. Trustee Zorthian? Here. We have a quorum. Thank you very much. Um, seeing no one from the public in the room at the present time, I nevertheless ask, is there any public comment? None received. Seeing none, uh, we will move into um, closed session. Okay, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Great. Uh, we, that was the end of the consent agenda. We're going to move into other business. And um, he stepped out. He stepped oh. out. Well, let's move. Uh, I'm going to go and shift from item discussion item one to discussion item um, two. And to ask the board, this was uh, my item. I wanted to get some kind of feedback from the board. Uh, as you see, I sent you a copy of the a request from the mayor of San Leandro to support AB 2471 um, and I wanted to know how the board felt and whether or not um, he would authorize the development of a, of a letter to uh, go on up to Sacramento. Nothing would make me happier. That, honestly, I think the, the Eden Township Healthcare District is, yeah. I, 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 I respectfully disagree with my colleague. Yeah. Um, I think that we are a little too close to this to to um, to provide such a, a, an endorsement at this time. And because I think that we're going to, we will, this board and this system will immediately benefit. And um, because the establishment not only will we benefit from this, and but also it, it, it impacts it's it's a discussion of a healthcare district board or a, a amendment to the law about healthcare district boards that was has been in place for some time, and um, this will be the first time I believe in Mike Cohen whether that this um, law establishing healthcare districts has been amended, and it would also affect only one district, as far as I can tell, in. California, and um, it would not affect a district that is a partner with Alameda Healthcare System, Alameda Health System, which would be the Alameda Healthcare District Board. It wouldn't affect that district because the provisions are not uh, do not pertain that Alameda Healthcare District Board does not meet the provisions for dissolution that are would be established in this law, but. Nonetheless, Alameda Healthcare District is a partner with AHS, and so I just feel that we're a little bit too close in, in a number of ways to weigh in on this. Okay. I, I, I enthusiastically agree with that. I feel the role of a board is to be advocates for our mission and for our sustainability, and the fact that if, uh, if district boards are, you know, have a pure mission and a aligning by it and doing and showing worth and value to the taxpayers, by all means they should exist. But if you don't know what, why they exist, what they are doing, and
this, this, you know, this will help AHS sustainability, and it's it's um, it's specified to this one single board. I I I, I think we should have, a, you know, and politically I can tell you this: when I have the whole uh, city of San Leandro, the mayor of Hayward, uh, going, and they are like. You guys are like just like bystanders in this process. Like all of us are fighting to keep, you know, the organization open. Yes, for the population, but also to you know make sure that AHS remains like a presence in San Leandro and having like a wishy-washy, um, uh, you know, thing about it is harder because I just see it from a long-term point of view. I I do think that at some point in time. We'll have to go to the city for other things, right? So, whether it's a bond measure or anything else, and if we if we don't support it at this time, we get very little support from the city at the time that we call on them to ask for help. I oh, I'm sorry. no any other any other I support this. And, and that's great. And I and I, I want to say that I don't. It's not that I don't support the outcome and the, and the intent and the consequences of this, but I also wonder, and I don't have this information, whether where the the California Association of Healthcare Districts is on this, because there are a variety of healthcare districts in the state that don't have hospitals, and a number of them have tax levies um, and do a lot of great things with that tax. Um, Alameda Healthcare District has a tax levy, a parcel tax, and we partner with Alameda Health System. In Windsor, they have a tax levy, and they have developed some outpatient and clinical services with that. And in other parts of the state, in the South, um, South State, they have um, some healthcare districts without hospitals that have either don't have taxes but have still been effective, and or have taxes or um, other. I think the endowment and some other foundations support some community health districts that don't have hospitals. So I um. I'm just concerned about unintended consequences. Not, I think that it's it would it, it, it was well thought out by by the assembly members, and I think that it would definitely benefit our system. And it's it's totally and completely, in my opinion, a function of the Eden Township district's inability and and disregard for their community and in keeping and moving forward with keeping their revenue and not um, meeting the terms of the, the, the sale of San Diego Hospital. But this particular um, solution, I, I think, is just not the way to go. So I, I'm not going to support it. OK. I, I appreciate that. You know, as I, uh, I know that the uh, Board of Supervisors did, in fact, vote to support it. So I think I let you, let you know that. Um, when I looked at the bill, from my perspective, it did not, and if, if districts were in fact adhering to the regulation, then they have nothing to worry exactly. about, and it's not, it is not threatening to good functioning districts. Um, it is only threatening to those that are not, and in this instance, it appears that Eden Township needs to step up, or, or else they're going to be affected. Um, so, Barry, do you have anything you want to weigh in? Um, I don't really. I, my original um, instinct was to support it, and I would just say if we don't have a reason why legally we shouldn't, as a 
public board, then I would say we should. Okay, we, we didn't take a vote, I didn't put it on as action, but I do get a consensus from the board, and I also want to publicly say, I think as chair, I recognize very clearly uh, Trustee Jensen's position and her role as a trustee of the district. So um, I think what I'm going to do with, with um, still respectful of, of your naysay, um, Ms. Jensen, is to go ahead and respond and write a letter, direct, direct our CEO and our secretary to write a letter of support. Okay, thank you. Uh, let's move on then to. Uh, I, was gonna, I was actually going to say that, well, both Terry and I, and, and obviously I'd like to, are, are here for any questions you might have about it. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Uh, I was just saying that uh, uh, this is obviously a, a board matter. Uh, uh, you know, so, you know, we're, we're respectfully sitting here uh, 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 observing the, the dialogue, uh, what we hear, and, and Terry in particular, too, if there are any sort of questions that I've process or uh, uh, status of these sorts of things that, that we can uh, share with you when that's what we're here. So, but this is your question to discuss. Isn't there a Rob Bonkers bill that also requires supervisor and board support? Yes. So is that something we need to discuss now? Oh, okay. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. Okay. I, I did realize that no, that was coming. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that both the Bonta and the, the Bonta's already been heard. Quirks is coming up on May 6th, yes. I um, And so I, because they are so very tightly aligned, mm -hmm. I'm assuming, or may I assume, that your support of Bonta is, is also, and I'm assuming, um, Trustee Jensen, that, that your position would be the same. And I'm, again, I'm not, not supporting the, no, the, the goal. I just, we completely yeah. understand. Yeah, I, I, think we're, I think we're completely understanding your position. Uh, Maria, any objection to Vonda? Okay, so then if this board is, would like very much to put, to stand behind both those two pieces of legislation. Okay, thank you. Um, um, I'd like to move to item three before we move back to one. Well, um, can, I, can I, before we do that, I'd just like to get input uh, you, this isn't a recommendation or anything, but, but did you have any um, any input? Like Terry, did you have any input on these two? Um, any? Can you tell us? Is there any opposition to? It? I, I don't think there is. But have you? Are you aware of any opposition to this, or do you know how the California Association of Healthcare Districts is? So um, the the California Healthcare um, District has opposes opposes the bill. Um, Which one? Um, both, actually. They're in opposition to both the bills. Um, the, I, I guess, we have always been, we've been in contact with both Quirks and Monster's office on these bills, and we have always indicated our support for the bills. What we have indicated and they have agreed to and asked us to continue to do is to be supportive but not make a public show of support to not publicly endorse either of the bill at this time. Uh, in part, um, Bonds' bill did go before a committee, I believe it was two weeks ago, and they were asked to try to reconcile the differences between the court and Bonds' bill. In conversations with both court and Bonds' office uh, just recently, uh, they have 
taking a position until they reconcile um, the differences between the bill. Um, Can you tell us the substance of the differences? Well, it, it's difficult to, for one bill to say that the district should provide 80% um, of its um, revenue or resources to support direct care services, and other bill says that the district itself should be dissolved. So there's, if you dissolve it, then there's no opportunity to, for the other bill to have any uh, meaningful impact. And I'm sorry, that goes to my earlier point too, though, that that particular provision could wreck or prospectively impact healthcare districts that are meeting all the other requirements of this bill. And it, it, not having any, well, it's right here, but I'm not going to read it, but there are, there are organizations that meet all the requirements, but maybe are not using 80% or meeting some threshold that is in one or the other of these that would be, um, possibly have to do that in the, if the one or both of these passes. So um, just just for clarity, we we have um, been following the lead of the authors of the bill, which is courts and lots of offices. We recognize that the local uh, leadership uh, have been asking us to be more uh, invisible in our support. So we've been trying to weigh the most appropriate ways to support um, the authors of the bill through the process, which is currently. Terry, uh, thank you. Uh, I certainly would have, as chair, appreciated, when you knew that this was on the agenda, I certainly would have appreciated some information from you before I went to the board to ask them for support. Because what I hear you saying is we ought to wait. Is that right?
And, and to be clear, our understanding of it is that this, these pieces of legislation are designed to support healthcare delivery throughout the area. So uh, we were silent because it wasn't just about uh, San Leandro Hospital. Uh, it, it was also about St. Rose Hospital and other possible deliverers of healthcare services uh, in the community. And uh, to our knowledge, none of them actually have, has uh, uh, spoken up in a public way, or we don't even know if they've been asked to do so. Um, so, so we were. Our approach was to to provide information, support the legislation, wait until the board was asked. Uh, we said, when do you guys think it's appropriate to ask the board? We will forward that to the board, and we will do so. So the request came from a different mechanism than we expected it to. We thought it might come via the authors, although we were talking to others. It came from the mayor of San Leandro and. Thought, you know, it's a request, and it's important for you to opine about it. And and I don't, you know, I, certainly I, I don't want to necessarily suggest that uh, this information. And I think what you, what we're hearing from you is that uh, hearing this information might have weight uh, uh, impacted whether or not you put this on the agenda and or the manner in which you. Uh, well, well, from based on what you tell me, and and I apologize if I was a little sharp there, but um, what I see are two two. Two things happen. One is the information relative to the bill and what it's got to go through its process to, for reconciliation. Correct. But we also have a letter that we must respond to That's for correct. a city official. That's correct. So if you're saying to the city that, that you're recommending to this board that, and we can have some choices here, that, that our response to the city official is, um, we cannot take a position at this point in time. We are waiting for reconciliation of these two bills. We appreciate your interest, etc. Um, so that's not a no. We don't support, but rather the timing of this is not not appropriate. Versus this board having another. So that was one. Dis that's one position that we could take. Correct. And the other position would be. Um, we think both of these things have merit. We want to send a message that 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 Eden ought to step up, and I recognize this is really directed toward Eden. Sure. Um, so those, I think, are the two positions that the board can take. I'd agree. And just so so you, you uh, further appreciate some of our calculus, is uh, because this is going through a state route, and whether you know whether. Uh, fair to say that it materially boils down to, um, I, th I think actually maybe two districts, uh, I'm forgetting if it's, you know, it boils down to even the payment of healthcare district that fits into this criteria or not, but we were remaining uh, uh, silent publicly because uh, our, our speaking up publicly, we thought we're going to make it about us, but let's be clear, Eden has already made it about us. So they have publicly said that both of these attempts are attempts at shoring up uh, bad operations and administration that elevated health system, which that is unfortunate and is it's completely inappropriate in my mind. Um, uh, but they made it about us. We and they made that publicly at yes. the board of supervisors. And to that point, I mean, right. there's two things. The board of supervisors has. Um, as has been pointed out, supported this bill. They, for their, and there are two rationales for that. One being they were probably asked and they probably weighed in on it before it was even authored by, by Bonta and Cork because the supervisors are legislators who are in 
the same districts as their elected representatives of those districts as are, as is Paul and Cutter, as are Vonta and Cork elected. And so I, 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 I'm confident that before these bills were introduced, Vonta and Cork were talking to the Board of Supervisors as they were talking to Pauline Cutter and the mayors of these of the affected areas. So that's one thing. And so I'm not, of course, the Board of Supervisors has a little bit closer reason and role to weigh in. And uh, second to that, though, is that they were part of this process and asked not by a mayor or not by a, um, they were asked by the Board of Supervisors, by the authors of the bill to weigh in. So the, board, the authors of the bill, I don't think that, that Pauline Cutter sent a letter to the Board of Supervisors and said, hi, would you please support this? I, I'm fairly confident that Bonta and Quirk worked with the Board of Supervisors and said, we're going to introduce this, will you be supporting it? And the board said yes. I don't, I don't know that they asked him actually to take a position on it. It was actually the opposite. Actually, um, the Board of Supervisors are the local sponsors of the bill, and right. they asked, um, the county asked Right. So saying that the board is uh, uh, supporting this isn't a reason for, my point being that saying that the board of supervisors is supporting this isn't a reason for us to support it since they basically are sponsoring it. Sure. So that's one thing. And the other, um, the other question I guess I have is, um, is for, oh, um, Well, let me, let me just make this point uh, in reference to, uh, uh, I think, a question that Michelle was posing. Uh, so so we, we have, um, we've intentionally not made a recommendation here, and I hope that's okay with you, and so we can change that in the future if that's a board desire, um, because, you know, we, we, we think that you know all the elements here. Uh, I, you know, we, while administratively, until such time that it came to the board, we made the decision that we would not take a position on this. Um, uh, you, your, the, the request coming to you, you should weigh all your options, and I think the options you just pointed out are those that you can either say yes, if you think philosophically this is the right thing to do, and that this is a, an appropriate mechanism by which to do it, you can say no, if you, you know, for very well one of those points, or you could take a look and see the page. So, I so have one we're not making a recommendation because of exactly the discussion that you've had. Uh, but we will, we will follow your lead as a board on what position you want the organization to take going forward. Just I have one more question for Terry that might help also. It, Terry, in your sense, um, is it your sense and that there is a possibility, any possibility that Eden, that this whole um, legislative activity is it, it, it would influence or impact Eden to make some decisions so that this doesn't end up going to the to the legislature and doesn't end up um, the statutory change doesn't happen. You know, a, a settlement, I guess. I think all the parties involved are very interested in a resolution of this in a, in a variety of ways. Yes. So it might happen that this will. Resolved before it's been voted. It it's, been, it's gone to committee several times. But one of the conditions for that happening is that even uh, right. we exactly. sense that there is a strong exactly. likelihood that a decision can be made for them uh, right. that forces them to have a different. Well, that's why this but that does not necessarily negate the fact that we can poke uh, or right. encourage right. this thing to move forward. That's and right. when Eden comes up publicly 
in a supervisor's meeting and says that the whole issue is about the poor management at AHS, that is not something that I can, as, as a board representing this organization, sit by quietly I and agree. just allow them to do that. So uh, despite your, your positions, and I can understand the value in waiting, I think that there's no value for me in waiting, and I'm just one vote. There's no value for me in waiting. I think putting this out now, and if it's, if it's resolved, and there's some settlement, we have nothing to lose. We've only gained something. So that would be my position. I feel as a board, we need to take a stance, and we need to show uh, you know, where our support is, and we need to um, defend when, we, when you have other, uh, our, uh, you know, other stakeholders taking it very uh, publicly. So it, it, it's actually uh, spending my resolve, if, if anything, by hearing about this to like write a letter of support. Should, should we then specifically respond to that remark or or just then? well that yeah. but we that's actually we can certainly include it in a letter of uh, implication is that we want to refute those public statements and offer our support for for this bill. I mean that can be worded in such a way. I uh, so there, there, there are there are pros and cons to doing so. I think that you know one of the elements of, uh, um, of us uh, jumping in and publicly uh, uh, weighing in on in, in favor of this uh, will could could further fuel Eden's allegation that hasn't so far gotten any traction that this is about us uh, to do that and and, and concurrently. Uh, respond to them, gives them a chance to sort of set that narrative even more. So uh, then perhaps an objective statement about you know, the importance of uh, 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 taxpayer resources in the community being used to support the appropriate healthcare services. And that you know, irrespective of which organization those lie in, uh, okay. that's what's important. You tell me that as an example of that. Correct, correct. And so, so that's something for you to consider. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we, we thought administratively about whether we should say something like, you know, that, that was a cool thing. Uh, Don't get in the mind with yeah, it's, yeah. It's Well, if, if, the, if, the board, if the board consensus is to go ahead and support the pieces of legislation at this point in time, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that, that the chore to, chore task to write the letter will fall to, will fall to you. So we will, I, I think we can support the if I can, if I can just just add in a little bit more to the context of why we have or have not supported it at, at this point. So, um, neither neither we nor St. Rose have publicly supported either of these bills, even though um, St. Rose has had representatives in various meetings where this has been discussed. Um, there have been a variety of reasons for that. I think the folks who have been trying to figure out how best to move this through the legislature. Uh, were very adamant at a joint meeting in which um, all the parties involved, including the county, San Leandro, City of Hayward, um, Cork, and, and Bonson were both in the room, um, felt that um, they want to present a bill that on its face um, supports good government. That this is a bill that at the end of the day, if you have other districts that move in 
category that this is an appropriate way to um, deal with those situations. They felt that by either specifically naming Eden in the bill, so keep in mind the language of the bill does not identify Eden. Of course. And they felt also that it would be inappropriate to name um, either of the potential beneficiaries of the action for fear that it would be it would be seen as a local um, initiative or issue that should then just be kicked back to the local folks to ultimately resolve. And if that were the case, and to Trustee Jensen's question about the likelihood that this might uh, encourage a, a, uh, a resolution outside the legislative process might then be less likely to occur. That has been the position of some of the, the lobbyists and other advocates who have been involved in the process. The other piece is that um, our representatives at the state level have been very clear on what they would like for us to do. Um, there is local disagreement. I do think that if we do officially take a position on a letter of support for these bills right now, that that will probably not be um, the last request that is made of us to be more publicly engaged in the process. So writing a letter will probably be the first step, but it probably won't be the last request that we get. And so I think we begin to then influence the process in a more visible way and we just need to be conscious of that and to make a decision on what to do. So we could not, as a board, then take a position to support good governance? Is that what you're saying? No, I, no, I, I think, yes, you, you could. Um, so the, this bill supports good governance. We don't have to say we expect Eden to hold up. So Eden's name doesn't need to be in this. But if I read those pieces of legislation, why wouldn't a why wouldn't a voter or a board say we think that if you're using public money, you ought to be uh, that public money ought to be accountable, and you ought to be the administrative costs ought to be within reason, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's good governance. Yes. Um, so I'm trying, I, I'm, I'm still so processing I, I, what you're saying, Terry. So, so let me, maybe I'm, I'm speaking around uh, the question. I think the issue right now is more about timing than support. Is what is the best means for us to support the process uh, by which our state folks are trying to move the legislation forward. Their recommendation for us at this point is to not take a public position. Who is they? Uh, representatives from both Bonta and Quirks offices. Because? For, for the reasons uh, I've just given. Uh, the other reason, there, and there are some other factors. You know, my concern is, and there's still some research being done on this, is that um, even as we move toward potential uh, dissolution of the district, it is very unclear um, what the meaningful result will be for Alameda Health System or St. Rose because we don't understand their clear financial system. So even though we go through this process, um, we, the benefit um, is very unclear and we don't know how material that may be at the end of the day. Okay, so suppose, suppose we take your, your lead and say, we just don't, we don't support it this time. 
What, what, is, what is the fallout relative to the relationship to the city of San Leandro and the request from the mayor? So, because obviously that relationship could in fact, well, well, you're guarding the other relationships, that relationship could in fact be harmed because we have somebody who has made a public request, taken her time to do that and asked us that. So give me that other side of how, of how that relationship. Um, and maybe I should just say, isn't there's a budget process going on and isn't San Leandro's supposed to up the money for the rehab? process, so they are now thinking about, you know, uh, giving um, some kind of... The city you're talking about? Um, if they are, uh, I'm not aware of it. Yeah. Um, what, what, what is happening at the state level is um, uh, that we have been working with supervisor, or supervisor, someone member Bonta to uh, advance a, a legislative effort to, or a regulatory effort to, um, uh, secure some funding for the rehab work at San Leandro. Uh, perhaps they express some support for that. Uh, I'm not sure, but um, I, I don't know of any s specific effort within the city around the support for the rehab. If, if Michelle, if you don't mind, I want to restate your question to Terry. Basically, we got a request from the mayor of, um, of San Leandro. We haven't had any requests for input from the, the, the sponsors or the the, the supervisors who, base, who are putting this bill through their legislators. So, is it possible that the mayor of San Leandro is is getting a little impatient, or San Leandro is getting a little impatient with the, the inaction, and that they're asking us to do this, although they know the San Leandro knows that they're, that Bonte and Quirk are working together and um, suggesting that. There be patients. Is there any other well, political I, currents going on here that you? Let me answer it this way. Um, the the our, first of all, our, our position. So, if we were to express a position that um, to the mayor of San Leandro that we were um, not taking a position at this time. Um, that is consistent with communications that we've had with her throughout the process. So it's not a new position that we were waiting to follow the lead of our so, state group. So why did you send James, James about that? So why would you send James the letter? So yeah, the, the, the newness is um, uh, we, we've shared with everyone that we, we as we talked about earlier, that we were not taking a public position on this and why, some of the reasons why. Um, Unless and until our board received a request and the board weighed in on this and made a decision, which we always thought was the <coughs> right approach to take. So it wasn't necessarily, I mean, that, that, that request could have come from any channel. It could have come from the board of supervisors, it could have come from the authors of the legislation, it could have come from other supporters of the legislation. legislation. I think in this case, it came from a local uh, uh, government. Uh, government entity that has been supporting very actively uh, the acute care facility in their area, both with deeds and financing, um, and, and uh, is, is expressing some support for this being, either of these being strong matters and mechanisms by which we might get to a different position, whether through this uh, passing of one of these legislations and or some sort of work arrangement in saying, uh, we believe you as a delivery entity here 
uh, in the name of good governance or in the name of potential impact for the organization, should weigh in on this. And that's why it's going to be to be done. Before I? we present the positive, what we said, if it comes over the board, the board will, the board will consider it. Um, <clears throat> I totally appreciate your diplomacy and your position that it's not your position to take a position as an administration. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely our moral, uh, uh, it, is, it is our duty to take a position as a board. We are representing the health care of all people of Alameda County. This has been a huge problem. And I mean, I've got some really choice language that would really offend people if I were to really express myself fully right Me now too. about my feelings about Eden and, and what they put this, this county and the people and the through. I am too. so angry. And when I looked up the salary of the CEO of that organization, I just, hours he works. there aren't words filthy enough for me to describe my feelings. So let me just say that I feel that this should be before us not as a discussion item, but as an action item. And I, I, I understand that I'm not being very diplomatic. Um, and so I'm tempering myself. But I, and I, I also understand that Member Jensen, you represent a district and there's a certain integrity that you want to preserve for districts and local rule and independence, and, and I, I respect that. And I also respect the fact that sometimes when things aren't going right at the local level, you have to up, up it to a higher power to resolve the problem, be that the county, the state, or the feds. And this is one of those times where the locals have misbehaved, and we have to have our state legislative representatives take action. And that's what they're doing, and we have to support it. And, and I just, I, I, that's how I feel very strongly. And the fact that Eden publicly stated that this was about <laughs> our mismanagement makes me want to do it. It makes me want to jump in the mud with the pigs, but I won't. <laughs> Let's support these bills adamantly, thoroughly, quickly as an action item, not a discussion item. If we can't do that today, please bring it back as an action item at our next meeting. So I would also add one oh, thing. And one more thing. <laughs> and this will solidify our working relationship with the Board of Supervisors and the City of San Leandro, who are obviously far more interested in the public health of the community than the Eden Healthcare Township District. And, and, and let me add to this would add with the employees, our AHS employees. You are, I've heard you talk about what the lobbyists have said what the bill authors have said. Have you heard what the docs and the uh, and James Jackson are saying? Have you, have you had a conversation? Just let me know because I can tell you that I have had them come to speak to me and say that you're not showing, we were the white coat brigade that stood here with our jobs on the line to keep this hospital open. And now when there's a sustainability plan for us, that you don't openly even say yes, it just shows you don't have our backs. And that is the, I do not want to send that message to our own employees. Like let us, this is something that we need to do to support our, our staff as well as the population. Because the Brown Act prohibits us taking a vote, um, I nevertheless got the consensus from this board um, that we will in fact support these pieces of legislation. So we're going to direct the staff to write a letter of support. And I would like an action item brought back to our next business meeting where we as a board could officially support and take a vote. 
Okay. All right. I would add, Thank you. with that, but we, I, I want some, some much more analysis of, of both of these bills, but specifically the 80-20% um, and the, the, the differences in the bills, and also if there's any other districts that might initially or potentially in the future be impacted, and, you know, the position of uh, CHPD, CH, C-H-A-C-A-H-D, whatever. I mean, A-C-H-D. Yeah. Especially California, California Health, H-C-H-D, yeah. Yeah. And um, any other opposition as well as the support? Sounds, sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Still have your light on. Oh, I was just going to, uh, <laughs> just a data point that the, this particular bill, which does talk about the dissolution, is going to be going before the local government committee on Wednesday, I believe. And that may give us additional information that we might want to take into consideration. Would that, Terry, do you, would you recommend, uh, the board feels very strongly here, that the board president testify or, or, or go to the hearing and... Um, would he recommend it? Well, I, Terry probably wouldn't recommend it, but I want to give it to the board as an option. I mean, that is, if we feel this strongly, then there's also the opportunity to go to Sacramento and share our feelings with the legislature. Yeah, I would, I would respectfully ask Terry not to make a recommendation uh, that way, but I think that, yeah, there, that is an avenue that's available to you, and in and, and furtherance of your position, you know, that's always something you, you should consider. Well, it, it, this is Saturday. The, the process, nobody works tomorrow. Sitting down and doing, and doing um, a, a, um, a letter of support, which has been directed to, to you to do, um, that letter may not get into the mail until Thursday or Friday, and if you have the hearing on on Wednesday or Thursday, it could inform how that letter of support is drafted. So it would be, I think, knowing that we, we are behind this piece of legislation. You heard this board say, we want to support San Leandro Hospital and good governance, and um, so I think we said enough here. Okay. Well, and I, enough. I, wanted, I would like to get uh, Terry's, could, would you mind just sharing Delacure Terry on Thursday, the outcome of the hearing? I, just said, well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Exactly what I was going to ask. Thank you, Tracy. And that you'll report back and, and before a letter is sent, certainly would go through the board for um, any comment. Right. Okay. All right. Well, so let's let me make sure I'm So we're going to draft the letter uh, of support. We will uh, for both. Uh, we will uh, cycle that back through the trustees for um, uh, editing, wordsmithing, what have you. Uh, meanwhile, um, uh, we will continue to monitor activity that's happening relative to these two pieces of legislation, uh, including the hearing that takes place on those, and we'll give you a synopsis of what occurred in that Well, and, and to close the to close the communication circle with um, the mayor, just a short email, and I, I'm perfectly happy to do that. But you guys can do it. It's just to say that the board will, in fact, send a letter of support. So that's all that needs to be said. We don't have to say what it looks like, or whatever. But the board will, in fact, yeah. So a letter of support is forthcoming. I do think um, we can so. do that. So, that would be great. I'll, if you I'll, if you could do that, that that way we keep our relationship with the mayor intact and 
the city and we can figure out how. So is that all right? Yes. Okay. And then, and then we are putting it on the agenda, Susan. Susan for, for May? For May. Uh, for action. <laughs> oh yeah, late May. Sorry. Late, late May. We have a late, we have a board meeting in late May, so. Uh, you could we could do it in the the business. Oh, education. May 10th, yeah, May 11th, 11th. Yeah. Well, do you want to make it an action item for the education meeting? Yeah, we can do that. Okay. That's the next meeting. That would be great. That's the next meeting. Yeah, and and remember, we have, absolutely, so that we can do that on the agenda. And then a reminder, too, that we also have another workshop for those of you who yes, can attend yes, yes. on the 4th. Um, so that's before the finance meeting. Right, right. Um, yeah. And I know all of you could not attend that, but but we do have people coming to make that presentation. Okay, so let's talk about a let's move to another item that is certainly not without its controversy. Number three, and then we'll go to number one. So if we if we could uh, perhaps try this a little bit differently, I one I appreciate the process and I appreciate your understanding of uh, this is these are kind of the first at least in my tenure of. Uh, uh, Legislative initiatives we're bringing before you to weigh in on. So if that was clumsy in some way, we can we can work it out. But this way, I'd like to start with just a little context setting uh, to uh, uh, to support or supplement what you've already seen. Um, but just uh, general context: the city of Oakland is looking to put on the November ballot in in uh, excise tax, so it's a tax on the distributor uh, for sugar sweetened beverages, uh, and this. Uh, because it's an excise, excise tax, it requires a, a, majority, a simple majority and not a, uh, a super majority or two thirds. Uh, you may well be aware that historically, uh, this same type of initiative was done in the city of Berkeley and passed in Berkeley, similarly because it was an excise tax in the city of San Francisco, city and county. Uh, they tried it as a sales tax, uh, so it's on the sales of sugar sweet beverages, and it didn't get it, it required a super majority. It didn't get the supermajority. So, um, uh, this is, as some of the language uh, says, uh, uh, is uh, uh, driven by, um, at least in its presentation, an effort to address public health uh, challenges around over or heavy consumption of sugar sweetened beverages and the health impacts it's having on our communities, particularly the disproportionately underserved community uh, in terms of things like obesity uh, and other obesity related. Uh, illnesses and, and diseases like uh, diabetes and other uh, chronic conditions like diabetes uh, and other um, uh, uh, situations, so, and other chronic conditions. It talks about the cost impact and that uh, the, the, uh, the revenue that would be, any revenue that's generated from this tax uh, would be used to basically convene uh, uh, leaders and uh, folks charged with uh, looking at how to combat the impact of uh, sugar sweetened uh, or consumption, as you said, in the county, uh, or in the city, sorry, in the city of Oakland. We were asked um, to weigh in on it. I believe I supplied to you, and if I didn't, I didn't pull it up. I was trying to do it really quickly. The list of various candidates who are supportive of this, uh, sorry, a huge list of supporters, some in the healthcare community, some in the legislative community, some in this sort of public health space. Um, and so the process next is that this, the vice mayor and the council members who are 
carrying this particular resolution will take it before the city council, I think, next week or in two weeks uh, for them to uh, uh, vote on whether or not it will be on the November ballot. Did they have a hearing on Tuesday? It's, it's uh, coming up soon. I can't we have, the, exactly. is it on the May 3rd agenda? It may be on Tuesday. Yeah. So, well, um, let me just say a, a couple other points and then I'll, I'll, we're happy to entertain any questions you have or your, your dialogue. Uh, one is that um, there has been some express uh, expression by some trustees, and I appreciate it that uh, were you uh, to opine about this and reach a conclusion that uh, as a healthcare organization who serves a uh, predominantly a, a disproportionately uh, underserved community, that uh, this type of uh, action would be congruent with um, uh, our broader mission, uh, and that uh, it would be important for us if you did this to uh, follow our follow your words with our deeds. Uh, and so I have explored the, uh, the uh, sort of interest of the organization into doing such a thing. I polled all of the executive leadership and uh, we were actually fairly draconian uh, and that was that there was all but one executive leader, there were only two members who weren't there, but all but one supported a full removal of sugar-sweetened beverages from our campuses. Uh, one uh, asked for a caveat for diet sodas, um, uh, and I think it was like tea and other stuff, but the, 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 the tea people supported it. Uh, it and so, uh, <laughs> sorry, it wasn't a, it wasn't a confidential vote. Um, yeah, so, so that was that, and then what we did uh, pursuant to that is actually we've started an internal poll, and because this is sort of time uh, sensitive, we didn't have a lot of time, but uh, we released a poll yesterday, and we've had over 300 responses from staff right away. And so I'll share with you that of the 308 people who responded, uh, varying levels, we, we put out two questions. Would you support the total removal of sugar-sweetened beverages? Um, the campus, and we didn't define what that was. And uh, I should share, San Francisco General actually has done this. They did it about a year ago. I think it was at the time when uh, the city and county was going through their legislation. Um, uh, and they, didn't, they implemented it, although the legislation didn't pass. Um, the two questions were, would you support full removal or would you support at least the reduced access? And uh, the results pan out this way. 307 people voted on the uh, question of removal, and the fallout was 58.96% uh, in support of removal and 41% uh, uh, against it, so 181 to 126. Now, uh, reducing uh, uh, access to it was uh, actually a lot more imbalanced. 81.4% of employees, or 251 of those who responded so far, said they support the reductions uh, of, of access to uh, uh, sugar-sweetened beverages here, and only 47 said that they would not support minimizing access. Um, I thought I brought it with me, but I left it. I apologize. Um, the city, uh, the uh, San Francisco General of the Department of Public Health actually uh, uh, put a tight de definition on what sugar-sweetened beverages were, and theirs was anything greater than 25 grams of sugar per 12-ounce can uh, or 12-ounce bottle or whatever of, of the beverage. So it actually in, uh, or excluded um, things like uh, flavored water, uh, diet and zero calorie sodas uh, were, were still allowable, um, but you know all the other things were not essentially that you make choose. I think well, including uh, non 100% juice. So any juice that is 10, 18, whatever it is. I was looking at that. Um, uh, 
Uh, uh, but yeah, no, because it was like 35 grams and it was only 11.5 ounces. Um, um, but yeah, so that was a description. And I actually think it would be a good model uh, for us to maybe emulate and we could even consider it broadly. And this is just for your father on, again, whether or not you would support this, how, how we might then uh, follow that, uh, that uh, his words up with access within the organization. Uh, I have tasked the uh, head of support services and to looking into our contracts to see what provisions we might have or what challenges we might have in executing this type of thing and then you know, what we have to work through and we can you know, keep you apprised of that. Again, should you support this. Um, but it seems to me, and we're going to keep the poll open for another two weeks. Um, this is a representative sample is almost 10% of our employee workforce. <coughs> 34 people actually submitted comments and um, just like the vote, the vast majority of them were like, it's about time we're doing this, this is great, we love it. We would want provisions for things like, uh, you know, nourishment for patients who are in chronic conditions or maybe what is a hypoglycemic or something like that. And of course you would consider those sort of things, you have all the exceptions from that. This is largely about vending machines and cafeterias or, or, or concessions areas. Um, um, and so uh, uh, it would have some exclusions for dietary uh, requirements. So obviously, baby's milk or uh, formula and things like that, which we don't promote as a baby family organization, but the people request it, we have to be able to supply it to them. So we can grow with that. So I think I've answered everything I've also If you have any questions for me, I'm happy to entertain it, but with that, um, the request is for you to apply about whether or not we as an organization would support this particular resolution. I, I just want to say it is on the um, city council agenda for Tuesday night, it's item 12. Um, so if we do indicate to our chair that we support it, it would be email communication would make sense. That, but to, you it's know. not the same thing though. What? What's on their agenda is it's not what he's, right. He's talking about eliminating it from Mark. No, no, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm just. Oh yeah, no, I, we were just talking. I was talking about two things: the yeah. supporting of the tax, and then if, if, yeah. if I know as a condition for some some of you. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, it was, so the tax is on. I'm saying that the right. tax that we were asked to, to endorse. Uh, is on the agenda for Tuesday night's council meetings, item 12. Um, it would be great if we could. I, I mean, I, I don't think I need to give a long speech about how much I support this and how much I support changing both both ideas, both supporting the tax and uh, eliminating these these in our system. I think you gotta you know practice what you preach, and um, there's no soda in my house. Oh, so. that you drank them yesterday. Uh, okay. I, I, I did. You know, I had a San Pellegrino. Would that, would that be? Yes. Thirty-five grams of sugar. And I said, and I said at the time, I, I, you know, I never do this. You know, I about one every five months. So, anyway. um, so I am really conflicted about this kind of thing. And mind you, I don't really know the a lot about it. I haven't read a huge amount, but the excise tax part of it means that. The distributors, the people in business, are the ones who take the hit. And if they don't want to lose business, they're probably not going to raise the prices to the consumer. And so it's not going to affect the consumer. And I don't see how that's going to help cut down people drinking uh, sugar-sweetened beverages. Like in Mexico, apparently, they raised the price and people stopped drinking them as much, a little. In Berkeley, they made a lot of money that they're going to use for some good purpose, but did it actually reduce the use of sugar beverages? We don't, I don't have that information. Really. 
So it's it's a mess just because we can't get a two-thirds majority. We're going down this other pathway that is, to me, not the right path. The path is raise the price on the product, and maybe people won't drink them as much. But uh, I don't know. So that's my concern um, about it: is that it's we're not hitting the right. Are we raising victim. the price? I think there are many, many levers in this, so this is one of the levers of doing the exercise. So it's not just one strategy that's working on this. So I think keeping with our mission for population health, community wellness, that's going. I work with populations there. You see diabetes, diabetes, you know, you see 12-year-olds with adult onset diabetes. You see, like, there, can you just imagine what their life expectancy must be? I think the trickle-down and using this money for other you know, um, processes, it's, uh, will will help in the long run. We might not see things right away, but I do think that it'll, in, it, it'll work in getting a lot of other stakeholders together and work with, this is the beginning of a lot of other things, so it's one step of a multi-pronged step to deal with childhood obesity. And, and, and I, I agree with, with both commenters, but I would also say that um, to to both points. First of all, it, even if it does raise the price, it will affect our populations more than it, it will affect low-income users of these drinks and, and our populations more in terms of their pocketbook if they continue to use it. So hopefully that would reduce the consumption. Secondly, um, the, whether the excise tax increases the price, it, it, it would. if it doesn't, then small businesses in Oakland would bear an impact, but that's not a reason not to support this. Uh, although, I would say, as you look at Berkeley, in this tax in Oakland, and I also work for the City of Oakland, I, I noted very clearly that this, there's no requirement to spend this money on anything, and it goes into the general fund. So, just, um, there's a requirement that it be used to establish a work group. It doesn't say how much of the money is going to the work group. It says the work group will give recommendations on how to spend the funds generated from this tax, but I have experienced the Oakland City Council hearing recommendations from an outside group and not adopting those. So, And I've also experienced taxes being passed, and, um, a tax that, that now Supervisor Miley proposed for um, to fund senior programs that the City Council funded for a while, and then when Nate Miley was a the supervisor, they just put that back into the general fund. So. I, I, those are my concerns. That I think it's it's worthy of support, but I would just caution everyone that it looks really good on paper, but the, the funds are are not necessarily going to have an impact to Barry's point to um, in the city of Oakland to reduce obesity. And also, I would also point out that it sunsets in 2028, so um, they would have to hopefully demonstrate some efficacy in 12 years that it's working. But I would support it. Stuff 
uh, in our vending machines and at the cafeterias, I think makes perfect sense as well. So I have no objection to them. I think it's a really smart thing for us to be doing. So although obviously um, this wasn't a request, this is solely the, the, the action or the request is all about the, the support for the measure. Um, I, I, I should point out, I mean, this conversation has helped me think about it. Uh, irrespective of where you lie on it, for whatever reasons you lie on it, we, we will probably proceed with the other part anyway. Uh, so so it's not, I'm not sort of enticing you in any way to support it because there are some uh, obviously uh, uh, strong points for what could happen to it, what impact it could have, but it doesn't preclude us as an organization for Well, wouldn't, have it, wouldn't we have to pay more? Because as a distributor of sugar sweetened beverages, if we didn't get, I mean, would we have a um, financial burden from this, from the passage of this, as a distributor of sugar sweetened beverages? No, I, I think it happens at the point of, of, of procurement, and, and we don't uh, buy these things that vendors buy. Okay. Them, so, so what they did then did, did as a result of it uh, could impact the direct sales, but as a sort of uh, direct hit for the organization. Uh, uh, it's not clear to me at this point that there's a fiscal impact. Yeah, and I think it sort of depends on whether they are wanting to pass their, you know, their expense along, and I think in many cases they wouldn't because they would be afraid it would impact themselves. But, yeah. um, I, I'm not certain you you are aware, but I was on the steering committee that came up with the Berkeley piece of legislation, um, and there was a lot of debate on whether it should be two thirds excise tax, etc. We did. Uh, maybe we spent time with people in Richmond. Um, San Francisco was upset with us from the perspective of the <coughs> relative to um, our position versus theirs. So I, I'm I'm pretty intimate with this process of, of, the, um, of the reduction. Um, I can also say that in public education, uh, which is interesting and has taken hospitals much longer than school systems to get rid of the, the sugar drinks, but um, this also was a big issue at some point in time in, in the public education sector, particularly monies that went into student body, went from the vending machines and at football games and all of those kinds of things. And so um, I, I have to confess that I took a very active role in, in going up and down the state to other school systems to explain why Berkeley, uh, and we got rid of the stuff in Berkeley pretty quickly. Um, and, and then that was in the school system, and then this tax came a little bit later. The, the issue that Tracy raises, um, I, I'm in agreement. I, I'm not certain that I can support the way this bill is written, frankly. Do I support the concept of re the reduction? Absolutely. And I am gratified to hear that you are willing to get that stuff out of the hospital. And so um, I really want to commend you. I want to go on record to say we ought to be doing that and we ought to be doing it soon. Um, and so, and for those little code drinkers, you can have, you, there's nothing that says you can't bring it on the, it's not like cigarettes and you can't smoke them. A tea person, whomever, uh, sweet tea, you can still bring it. I mean, you're, you're an adult, you can bring it on, but, but we are not going to promote the, the, the issues that are connected to diabetes. I think that's terrific. So um, 
I don't know what the board, I, I'm not going to support this because there is not a direct relationship to where those dollars are going to go that offset diabetes. And I think that's, if, the, if Oakland changed it so that they would say that the revenue from this will be uh, quartered to offset issues directly related to di diabetes, I could be there, but I'm not now because it goes directly into the general fund. So that would be my position, but the rest of you can. So I don't know what you what you want. It, it says it's going to form a committee, which doesn't it go into the general fund? Because if it goes to a special, uh, if it has a special use, then it has to do the two thirds. Well, that's a good point, but but in Berkeley they they basically said that they are going to fund school-based health. That's exactly what they and said. And so, uh, in, in writing, this, it doesn't yes, say in, anything. It says they're going to the legislation. It says there there will, there will be a, um, a a work group. I guess it's called. no, it's an advisory committee, just like all of the advisory committees that the city creates. The, yeah, the, there there will be an advisory committee, and the advisory committee will publish an annual report with recommendations how and to what extent the city council and mayor have implemented the recommendations and information about the impact on the public health of residents. So, I mean, this advisory, it, it also doesn't say how much, what, how it will fund this advisory board, but it, you know, it doesn't have any funding limits. And I suspect if, if there's, you know, if they're making a million a year or something like that, in Berkeley, this will be a five, three or five million dollar I mean, it does say that whereas programs funded by the excise tax can improve community nutrition, reduce childhood obesity, to decay, increase physical activity, prevent diabetes in children and families. I mean, it, it, they, they've, they've written that into the whereas. I haven't gotten down to the therefores. But um, I mean, I think that the, probably the reason it goes to the general fund is because if it, under the city charter, if it doesn't just go to the general fund, it becomes a special tax and requires a two-thirds vote. Um, and maybe it's different than the Berkeley Charter. Right? So, um, I, I don't think it would be different than the Berkeley Charter. What Berkeley did, and um, I think what Berkeley did is, in part, part of this came from the um, the nutritional educators within the school system. And so they were a big driver in this, in, and in part because they were going to their funding from the state got cut out and they saw this as a way in which to raise money. So the pressure that those people brought on to Berkeley to to have the money going to educate kids around nutrition was a strong advocacy and I think the city uh, conceded and put that in their, in their legislation. And I notice here there's also an exemption for distributors uh, that are a small business is defined in this chapter. So they are, we're trying to look out for your, your little guy that you were so worried well, about. Well, I'm not worried about, I mean, how are they going to, do they define that? Yes, well, they yeah, do, the in the chapter, yeah. yeah. That's a whole, a whole separate part of the community-based Well, I'm seeing, so I need, Mar Maria, where are you on the support of the legislation? I need to get support. Okay, so there's a support, Joe, you're supporting. Uh, and I'll make sure that that advisory committee makes the city council spend the right. I'm ambivalent in a lot of ways, but I think if it's not written in such a way that it's, we know what's going to happen to the money, then it's a little bit of a I support and support. Uh, yeah, I, I support it because I, 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 I even though my, um, my comments and my, I, I'm not 
I'm not certain or, or, or convinced or even in any way persuaded that the city of Oakland will use this to reduce childhood obesity or even impact obesity. I think that by having a tax like this, it sends a message. It, it, it will reduce consumption in a lot of ways. And it, you know, it's a small step. Like you all supported the letter, which I have similar reservations as you do, Michelle. I, I support this for the reasons that you supported the letter.
circulate that that way. A chart um, by which I have uh, tried to extract all of the obligations for the board uh, under the bylaws. And actually, let me just go ahead and give you the second chart. So there's two charts I'm handing out. The first chart is the board obligations by category. And I've sort of broken them down into sort of general general governance type items, uh, and then those are that are subject matter specific. So finance, um, you know, poly, that sort of thing. And then the second chart is a timeline which attempts to sort of identify for you when these things come up during the course of the year. Because I think, you know, one of the larger issues you know, for the board is understanding, you know, when they have an obligation to take some sort of action and what that action might be. So, you know, as you can see from the chart there, uh, we are, and I've incorporated into this uh, these new requirements as well too. So we I've had one of these in the past, and so I've you know um, incorporated into this you know the changes from the new bylaws. Uh, you'll note in uh, the third column, uh, which is titled responsibility, and by responsibility I'm you know I've you know sought to identify there. Uh, the person or the, the office or the organization which would you know have lead authority you know for bringing that you know issue to the full board and if there's something in parentheses or question marks I'm looking for you know direction or feedback from you as to who uh, that should be or whether or not you know what I've tentatively identified there is uh, the right person for that as you can see so under the first section uh, conducting the board self-evaluation regular meetings uh, the joint meeting with the Board of Supervisors, that had been in the bylaws, but it now has changed from three, uh, one meeting per year to three meetings per year. Um, establishing the committees, um, and again, this now reflects the new committee structure, uh, and then electing officers. So those are the general or the governance you know, issues which are identified in the bylaws you know, for the board. Under finance, uh, the board has the obligation to adopt a budget, approve and audit the financial operations, and then approve uh, contracts. Um, and uh, again, the, the far right uh, column, the time frame column, you know, again, I've tried to identify there when typically that obligation would arise, uh, either by virtue of what it says in the bylaws or what our you know, past practices typically meant. Mike, could you define, I'm sorry, I'm not quite understanding, uh, on the column of responsibility, um, what do you mean by the responsibility when you put finance, audit, compliance? What, what do you mean by that? The idea being that you know, typically that, that begins with the finance committee and the finance committee brings that to the full board for its approval. So would it be, would it be better for you to put, and, and I, I don't want to wordsmith, but just so I'm getting clarification. But would it be better then on item uh, column one to put recommend a recommending budget? Um, and the same thing that, uh, because I would, I would think it's still the board's responsibility to adopt a budget. Okay. And I don't want there to be a confusion that once finance has adopted it, then that's the budget. No, no, that's that's a good point, and perhaps what I, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking now on the on the second chart. That's actually how I put it. Oh, so okay. So I'll marry those two up. That's a good point. Okay. So, so yes, those are. It is the full board responsibility, but I, I'll just include a footnote that it's a recommendation from that committee. So great. Okay. Um, and then human resources, uh, appointing the CEO, adopting the statement of duties and responsibilities for the CEO. Um, and then the CEO performance evaluation. Um, and here, one of the points you know that I you know wanted to sort of put out 
for discussion, we'll get into more of it you know, during the policies and procedures, um, is what wording we would actually want you know, to put in there around that evaluation process. The uh, bylaws call for an annual evaluation. The question is, do we want the policies and procedures to reflect the requirement for an annual evaluation, or do we want it to be more detailed? You know, because I do know that, you know, for example, you know, with uh, you know the current CEO, there's a contractual provision which lays out that evaluation process. And do we? Uh, you know, one of the questions for you is whether we would reflect that in the policies and procedures, or if the policies and procedures would just reflect the bylaw requirement. And then, as you know, to the extent that there's you know, new contractual arrangements, that those would as long as they meet the minimum requirements and set forth the policies and procedures, they'd be okay. I think on the one hand, you know, perhaps putting some of that in policies and procedures may be a little limiting in that that may not be the process that you want to have all of the time. So I'll just sort of leave that as one of the things that we'll come back to and discuss a little bit further. Uh, and then over on the back are the quality patient care uh, responsibilities of the board. Um, and so these are approving uh, appointments to the medical staffs, approving credentialing, privileging, uh, the formation of auxiliary uh, volunteer organizations, approving a performance improvement plan developed by the medical staff, uh, approving amendments to the medical staff bylaws, uh, discipline of the me medical staff, hearing appeals of the medical staff recommendations, and then consulting with the CEO regarding the removal of a medical director. And um, again, all of these are laid out in the bylaws. Uh, these are reflective of uh, requirements that are placed upon a governing board, which are set forth in you know, either Title 22 uh, or under uh, the CMS regulations. And so, you know, to the extent that there's you know, some regulatory responsibility you have, those have been captured you know, in these provisions of the bylaws. Um, and so then the second chart, you know, essentially sort of shows how these things come up. Um, and, you know, the first category, I just sort of put the recurring things. And so, you know, meetings, you know, the regular meetings, approving appointments to the medical staff, approving credentialing, you know, those are things that, that happen all the time. And so, you know, there's not a specific schedule for them necessarily, but, you know, it's sort of a continuous process. Um, the one thing that we need to uh, perhaps figure out how we might bring clarity to, if, or, or you know, something more specific to, is the joint meeting with the Board of Supervisors. We don't have a particular set schedule set out right now for conducting those meetings that I'm aware of, and so that would be a question that we'd want to think about in terms of um, what we might put in the body, uh, excuse me, the policies and procedures. Um, these items, uh, electing the officers, that's actually specified in the bylaws to occur at uh, the, the first meeting, or the uh, Board of uh, Trustees meeting in January. Back up trauma team to the ER. Level 2 trauma, ETA 6 minutes. Back up trauma team to the ER. Level 2 trauma, ETA 6 minutes. And so with the audit, uh, the bylaws require that the audit be conducted annually. Uh, our practice typically is that that has been brought to the board during the month of February uh, or around that time frame. Um, so again, when we get to the policies and procedures, we can decide if we want to bring you know, more specificity to that or you know, a by date or something along those lines. Uh, the CEO performance evaluation, um, the 
bylaws provide that that should be conducted annually. Um, and again, the question is to, you know, how we might want to identify the, the timing of that more specifically, you know, if we would, you know, choose to do so. Uh, adopting a budget, uh, again, it's an annual requirement. The practice is that that is to be done, you know, not later than June 30th. Um, approving the uh, performance improvement plan developed by medical staff. Again, this is an annual requirement. Typically, the practice is that uh, those recommendations you know, would be made to the board uh, in conjunction with the budgeting process, you know, because the items that are being identified you know, by the quality staff to be the focus for the coming year typically might have some sort of budget implications to them, and so those are developed. And so, um, Okay. What, I, I, what is this? Uh, the, so, oh, you want? No, okay, right. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, so, uh, this is a provision that has, uh, this is not a new provision in the bylaws, uh, uh, but annually uh, the quality, the quality uh, head will, uh, I think, go through PPSC to bring forth a set of quality imperatives and uh, performance improvement. Quality performance improvement things. So, you were talking about something yesterday. A uh, focus on. I agree with Michelle. We haven't done this in any way that's identifiable. Correct. I know this. I'd say I was about to agree with you as well. So, except to say, you know, when I was reviewing these, this is this actually one. Of, this was one of the main genesis for saying, how do we discreetly, if we were saying to people, how do we do this? Uh, I spoke to Karen, and she said, you know. Um, we did it. I was like, hey, did we do this in the last year? And she said, yes, we did. And I went back and looked at the board agendas for like late May or so of last year, and it was there, uh, review and approval of the quality plan. And so then I backed up with her because it actually says in the bylaws that the plan, the QI plan, is supposed to be jointly created by the board, or I'm sorry, by the uh, medical staff and administration. So I said, well, what does that process look like? You know, how, how do those things come forth? And how do you do it now that there are three different medical staffs? And we just embarked upon this now. I can't tell you what they did last year. Uh, uh, but my impression was, even before you get to the board, that there wasn't a lot of formality around, this is an organizational um, derived and agreed upon set of PI priorities that we are now putting forward to our governing body, the board, to say, here are our PI priorities for, for the year. Although it did look like when I did just the high level review, uh, did a PI plan come to the board for approval, that that did actually occur. So, so I, I think what happens mm -hmm. is that it goes through Quality Council, and then the Quality Council report comes to MEC, and MEC approves the report, and then it sort of comes to QPSC, and we approve the report, and that's how it kind of, you can track it. But it isn't something that the board has ever heard articulated as the medical staff performance improvement plan for 2015. Or yeah. So that's why it sounds unfamiliar. But if it, is this a legal requirement? If we were trying yes, to show regulatory that we were doing it, Karen could track it. Yes. But it's it's a little. But if you were trying to talk about yeah. it, if they yeah. were to interview yeah. you, would say, yeah. "Now tell me about that plan and how did that come to be and how did you begin?" Yeah. You yeah. would say, yeah. "Oh, it was a consent item, <laughs> and it was a part of the report." Okay. Well, 
So we're working on that. But, but I think that should be called out as one of those things we should spend more time on. Yeah, and that's why we're, we're, and we're, I, and we're calling it out And it's only recently that I've actually seen those words in the bylaws and realized that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when we get to the discussion of the policies and procedures, there is a piece of that which is designed to address not only that, but compliance as well. Too, so. And note to self, whatever strategic plan you have shown to us in the future, mm -hmm. I'd like wording in the strategic plan mm -hmm. to call out that that particular item or activity is related to a specific thing that needs to be done by the board by by I, I, think, oh, yeah. I, think I think we need to connect the dots mm -hmm. a little bit more um, mm -hmm. because these, um, obviously, we need to fulfill them. But as a board, we must see that very visible in the strategic documents. So, Mike, do you want us to talk about the question marks first and give you feedback, or do you? What's your, what's your approach? Uh, well, I think um, it, it probably does make sense, you know, because I think that will also inform some of the later discussion we'll have about the pauses and procedures. So, you know, first in terms of what I've sort of identified generally speaking as the timing, if there are any disputes or disagreements or something that we would want to alter in terms of process. Because you'll see beginning with elect officers down to conduct board self-evaluation, that's sort of chronological or what I've sort of observed to be sort of the chronological order in which those items uh, tend to occur. Well, it, it seems to me that the board self-evaluation should mirror the evaluation of the CEO in terms of timing. That's how I would I would see those two things coming together. Okay. So having them separated, I don't see a value in that. So if, if you were asking me to change, that would be a recommendation that I would put in that that they mirror the evaluation of the CEO or approximate time. Yeah. And that's because you're reflecting it as an annual process, although because it's an annual formal formal annual process, it in, it's an informal quarterly or I think we did three times this year because when I started, but it made but I'm you uh, three times, but it's not a us. CEO right. Performance yeah. Evaluation yeah. So I think the quarterly, and then it says at board retreat, and then when you go down further for the board self evaluation, it says fall retreat. So uh, on page, the first page, not the, not the time, the category page, mm -hmm. down at the bottom, you have CEO performance evaluation, and you put it annually September 1. See that? Yeah, well, in that September one there, that was a date in the old policies and procedures. Okay. So, okay. so you're reflecting in the former policies and procedures yeah. Yeah. by September one. Yeah, by, that, sep so by September first. Yeah, that's what the, the old policies and procedures, that was the wording there. Okay. So we can retain something similar to that and have a by date, and it could be by September one. Uh, we could say by the uh, event or at an event, you know, so for example, are always going to have a spring or fall retreat. We can identify one of those as sort of the market for it. Um, the, the role, your contract goes from July 1 to, to, to June 3rd. This year was awesome. Which is, I think, 
yeah, it's July. It's so it's, it seems to me that if we are legally bound to to a contract, that the evaluation to inform, and I'm not talking about you necessarily, but no. if, if, if a contract date ends on June 30, then the performance evaluation ought to occur before June 30, it seems to me, um, in a process. Because then somebody's either working without a contract or we automatically rolled over a contract. Um, and I think you get yourself into some kind of legal. Except in this case, you, you have it. So I don't have a year to year contract, I have a three year That's contract. exactly right. But at the end of three years, if this right. is in the bylaws, at the end of three years. Mm -hmm. Well, and but you, you may have another guy that comes after Delvecchio leaves that's hired on a completely different month in January or something. And then, so yes, you don't want to put a specific month in Might I suggest that sure. perhaps the end of the first quarter, um, because you know, so the end of the first quarter would be one quarter before the end of what would typically be a contract year, and that could basically be you know the process to follow with that any subsequent contract would be on a fiscal year basis, and having the evaluation conducted by the end of the first quarter ensures that it's done in sufficient time whatever needs to happen at the beginning of the next quarter. Also, early, it doesn't interfere with the, all the other stuff which happens in April, May, and June with the budget. And that's okay, but, just two things. I, I see it at the end of the first quarter on an annual basis or at the time of contract renewal or a new contract. So, so well, renewal, I guess. So you, you do, on an annual basis, you can say, in, uh, by the end of the first quarter of the subsequent fiscal year, you would have an evaluation done for the prior year. Uh, and if you're in that third year, uh, you need to do some sort of evaluation to determine the basis on which you want to renew or continue your contract. So you can say at the point of just you know contract renewal, you know, a precursor to doing that is doing an evaluation. So, so in year three for me, so year one will end in uh, June do an evaluation before September, right? So August, September, before the end of September. Uh, and year two, you'd also do before the end of September. And then when year three is coming around, you do an evaluation for July through May, if you will, in, in June, uh, before you renew the contract for the subject. So then you have, then that next year, you don't do a new contract or evaluation. You start it again, basically after that year. Sounds hard to put into the bylaws. Yeah. I mean, but that's why I say, if you say at two points, you can say either annually uh, within the first quarter following the year of evaluation, or prior to or congruent with any contract renewal. Yeah. And understand, this is actually going to be two different the policies and procedures. Okay. So, right. Okay. You know, the bylaws say. Well, you're not going to put it in the bylaws. No, the bylaws will say what the bylaws say. That's right. This is our. This is policy procedure. Yes. Okay. Uh, it, here, here is something that I think is always worthy of, of thought relative to the evaluation process. In, in my view, the evaluation ought to occur prior to the adoption of a budget. Prior to the adoption of a budget. Okay. Because if in fact a board or you, we say, 
you're off the mark, you need to really do, or we, we need you to put blah, blah, blah in place, etc. Mm -hmm. The budget's already passed. And I've always thought that that was completely off the mark. So we're moving down the road, and, and we're now giving a new direction. So that was one way to get that. The other thing is, I suppose the annual valuation can really fall with, with the caveat about the budget. Provided in this policy, in, in, our, in our policies and procedures, we continue with the, with the quarterly meetings. I think it's dramatically unfair for a CEO to hear bad news at the last part of, yeah. uh, of the last of his evaluation and not have heard or had an opportunity to correct those things. So from my perspective, I feel very strongly that there ought to be in the bylaws a requirement of a board and a, and a CEO to sit down together uh, on a quarterly basis to talk about their reports. Are the bylaws or policy and procedures? Bylaws. By, no, the policy, policy and procedures. The bylaws don't. Yeah, the policies are agreed. So, so we'd say third third quarter of the fiscal year. So that would be March. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So the third quarter of the fiscal year, and then we can incorporate the quarterly meetings as well too. Right, and okay. we know with Delvecchio we're going to be a little off on this because we're just instituting these right. these new new policies and procedures. But next year that should fall in. Okay. So if you did it in the third quarter, so you said by the end of March then each year you will be uh, doing the yearly review, which would straddle fiscal years. And that's okay. I just want to clarify. So you'd be looking at April through June, and then July through March. So, so how did the past year go? That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. And, and then, should, should a board get in trouble with the CEO that doesn't walk on water like ours, that, that you have opportunity because you're giving them information in March that we began a process because their contract ends in right. July. So yeah. now we have Time. a Time. timeline in order to get a new CEO and the other one goes. Is that and to work on the budget, you know, right. irrespective of what's happening. Right. Or okay. Nice. And then it's a one-time thing too. So because that year could happen either way. That's right. That's
president that walks on water. He's the president that walks on water. I was just getting ready to say that. Well, well, that, yeah, I mean, uh, so why don't we say secretary slash ad hoc committee? That's good. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, we could have a crazy secretary. Yeah, and, and the president would assassinate the secretary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of crazy here. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bloodthirsty crew. So I have a question. There's three meetings per year with the, with the joint <coughs> meeting with the board of suits. What happens if we don't do that? I, my, if we don't follow that, because they're never, we're not going to. Well, well so, so what could happen is, uh, um, if, you know, things like the civil grand jury, if they, if they were to review, you know, something's going on in the organization, or they're just doing a functory look at how, how the government is running, and they say, you guys are supposed to, you set it up where you wanted to be three times a year. They changed this during all these discussions. We weren't even doing the one a year, but people said we need to be more often. So we want to do this every year, and I made myself, are you wanted to do that? But it went through, <laughs> and so now, as yeah, so I should say, it's going through. Okay, so what responsibility does that mean for the president? Because um, uh, clearly, I can I can set up with this group, right. let's say, or any president, right. but. President can set up and say, "Okay, I need you to give me some dates, and we pass those dates on. If they don't meet, we—that's not in our control." So. Well, it's true, and I think what I was thinking here is that it would be, you know, precisely what you said. It's, you know, the administrative responsibility for seeing that this occurs to the extent that it can would fall with the president. So the president, you know, would make the request, you know, to the chair or the president of the board of supervisors. We'd like to meet as required by the bylaws and the other dates that were available and you know, assisted by the clerk. Um, so that somebody has the responsibility to get okay. uh, to do that. So that's what would be intended there. That's what would be reflected in the policies and procedures. Uh, okay. Then, then maybe what we ought to do too, because I, I don't think these are going to get off their radar. But maybe, Susanna, if you would put this as an agenda item, for our May meeting, and what I'd like to do is to get, and I'll send you guys an email, is to have you bring your calendar and give me dates that we can give them some choices on, on when these meetings are going to be. So it's off our plate into their, into their, and we have done our, no, 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 our no, I, I think that would be the perfect way to do it. Is perfect, that okay. be, you know, in one meeting, give them and, and what I might suggest is that what you do is you would give them, you know, perhaps three groups of dates That's exactly in, in what various I was quarters, and then that gets sent off in one letter, and then That's exactly what I was saying. Great, Mike. Thank you. We are on exactly the same page. Okay. Um, this last thing about uh, consulting with the CEO regarding the removal of the medical director, is that the CMO? Is that what you're talking yes. about? Yes. Yeah, because there is a... Uh, and we were having this because um, it was uncomfortable for me looking at the bylaws and being in this process while we were looking at the bylaws, trying to honor his language in the bylaws that says that the, uh, the CEO appoints the medical director or CMO uh, with 
different colors of the board, and effectively the way I did that was involve the two of you because I didn't yeah. have a formal way of doing that. Uh, but because you're involved in the concurrence of the uh, selection, then there's, there's uh, uh, I didn't see this, but apparently there's something that follows that says, you know, my, my role in removing the medical exit is sort of big, you would call something like this. Uh, that, that needs to, it's just that role, but because of the importance of that role, uh, it, it needs to involve your, your understanding. Okay. It, right. And that's a legal requirement. Yeah. It, and it's a legal requirement, and the rationale here is that given the board's ultimate responsibility for patient quality and safety, mm -hmm. the board needs to be the objective party, if you will, in making a decision which I might see. have the impact on quality or patient quality. So that's why this particular position requires Board's approval so that you know we have a situation where a CEO is hiring a CMO because the CMO you know, is doing something from a quality standpoint that the CEO disagrees with. The board should be entitled to make sure that they're comfortable with the, with the rationale. So that's why you have this special requirement here. Again, it's the board's quality. Board. Right. And then I They all have them on there. Oh, okay. You should okay. have the so if you just look in there, and I was just going to briefly refer to them, but you can see that there's varying degrees of detail in terms of, you know, what the committee's purpose is, its activities, membership, meeting frequencies, and some of them is very detailed, some of them is not quite as detailed, and none of them were as detailed as what was in the bylaws for. So I think that's something that we want to change around in terms of coming up with the new policies and procedures. And what I would, you know, envision is that, you know, for under a new version of the uh, uh, policies and procedures, we would, you know, have the med medical credentialing and policy committee, and it would identify, you know, approving the credentials, you know, dealing with issues regarding, you know, medical staff appointments, you know, dealing with issues of policies and procedures. Uh, and you'll see here the last bullet point that I was suggesting is compliance and patient safety quality obligations. And this would be a section of the policies and procedure which sort of sets out the charter for the whole board 
to handle those issues. And so, it, you know, for example, under patient quality, you know, the board will review incident reports. The board, you know, will hear, you know, issues related to the quality, you know, the, uh, performance improvement plan. You know, all of them. that would be spelled out in the policies and procedures, so that the board, you know, everyone on the board would understand what, you know, quite frankly, those on PPSC used to understand because it all was always coming to them. But those would now be laid out specifically there. Uh, likewise, with regarding compliance obligations, uh, that there would be a section there where we talk about what well, the full board will, you know, have these things. Since those are two regulatory specific requirements, the board it makes sense to have a certain number of policies and procedures. Okay, so with two then back to the original question. Will there be language that specifically says when credentials are approved in whatever this committee is called, they are approved? We yes. don't have to wait until they actually go through the board later. That's so right. that's so they we are whatever you call it, but deputized or something yes. like that. And then is that true for the policies as well? I I think that that was the intent is that the best committee would retain that delegation of authority from the full board. Delegation, right. So, because because right now, I think that people are are believing that if the policy has gone through QPSC, it actually still has to wait until the board sees it before it is an act in the policy. So, and what, so we want to make sure that that language is pretty clear. That's one thing. Okay. And then regarding the quality stuff, so you're, and risk stuff, you're saying actually all those risk events, all of that stuff is going to come to closed session in the full board meetings now. So we're going to have to leave time for that in case, yeah. you know, okay, just, and, and I didn't really realize it when we were talking because I really kind of forgot that Michelle was interested in the full board being the quality committee and really all of us, you know, being involved in that aspect of our responsibilities. But the medical staff is a little queasy about eliminating QPSC, about the, that whole, because they think of that as the way that they can have access to the board. And that, and, and you know, having a quality committee is considered kind of a best practice for a board and so on. So, I don't know, I, I just, I hadn't managed to state that before, so I just thought I'd bring it up. I, yeah, I would just say briefly, I think one of the things that, you know, the, the policies and procedures, I think, can address that, you know, because I think that the policies and procedures can make clear, you know, sort of in the form of the charter or, you know, the scope of authority. Um, and so that's one way to sort of articulate, you know, how things are brought you know, to the attention of the board. So. That would be good. Uh, you know, Barry, Mike raised the issue with me privately that that, that issue would seem to have surfaced. And, you know, I thought a great deal about it, and I'm wondering whether or not it is. I, I wanted to pursue it further because it seems to me that perhaps they're not understanding the intent of this board to have the voice of the medical staff be much more a part of a board meeting. And up until now, and I think the history of the organization has been that um, the only place that the, the doctors have had entree really has been in that QPSC meeting. 
and we have been dealing almost, at least for the years that I've been on, almost exclusively around finance and contracts and stuff like that. And so the desire, my desire, and I think it was the concurrence of the board, is to have more of the conversation about, so about medical and quality, et cetera, come to the full board and to the public at large. Um, and so maybe what we need to do is to sit with the doctors and have a greater conversation around our desire to have them, in fact, have entree to the board, but in a formal board meeting so we all can hear it and can help. And, and I appreciate that, and I actually kind of sort of understood that to be the case, and so I probably didn't make it my business to explain in an exact meeting why I thought this was happening. In fact, I didn't even know that people were upset about it until recently, which is why it's coming up right now. So. I, I think it might be a logistical issue too. If, when you had the QPSC, there was a lot of attendance by the dogs, or, you know, or, and you got dedicated time, one and a half hours, to just discuss these things. And though the vision behind it is really good, taking it to the full board, but sometimes even the chief of staff of the different hospitals don't show up for the full board meeting. And uh, in the long hours of business, there's not the kind of substantive conversations that happened on a monthly basis. So they understand the purpose of it. It's just that during this transition, they're not seeing it uh, flesh out in a re realistic way, you know, the aspiration of it was to make it so they are, they are seeing that lack of those kinds of, you know, very, very detailed discussion on quality that was happening. Uh, well, maybe before we lock it into a bylaw, why don't we go back and have the conversation with the doctors to make certain that they understand what our desire would be because if if in fact it it doesn't work for them then we've shot ourselves in the foot and and our desire is not going to materialize so so maybe that we could put that on the agenda for QPSC we try to make it so that as many of us on the board can go to that meeting and have a conversation of whether or not this is working for them I, I just want to say I was um, recently appointed to QPSC, and, and it's 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 evolving. But I was very it was it was different than what I expected. I had been on the quality committee for Alameda Healthcare District before and before the transition, before the joint powers agreement. And we, the doc, there were several doctors, the chief um, medical officer for the hospital, as well as some other doctors, as well as the nursing chief, came to the meetings, and we discussed quality. We discussed we discussed staff as well, but we, and appointments and resignations, but we spent a lot of time on the dashboard. And that was what I anticipated was going to be well, happening here. And it was we used a lot different. So we did yeah, that, that in the past. So actually, this is interesting. And um, I mean, I think that the bylaws are already written and they're, gonna, and they're on the desk of the, of the supervisor. So um, that's probably a done deal. But how we well, But the procedures. Go yeah, the, well, this part. So, so to be clear, the, the, the change that's been affected in the bylaws is that Article 4 uh, of the bylaws, which you know, basically con uh, contains the committee structure, what it, you know, it, it 
section one is standing committees. Um, and the uh, subsequent uh, pieces of section one identify each of the committees and to some extent you know, talked about their scope, what they did, who their membership might have been. The, all of that language has been removed and it simply provides that the board trustees shall have the following standing committees. And then it identifies what those committees are. And then it goes on to say, the duties of each standing committee shall be as provided in the policies and procedures for standing committees as adopted and amended by the Board of Trustees, provided nothing set forth in such policies for standing shall conflict with these bylaws. So uh, this, the change which is occurring is that it says medical credentialing and policy committee. So it's essentially changing the name QPSC to MCMP. The, authority or the scope for the charter of this particular committee, quite frankly, has not yet changed you know, in a formal fashion and would not do so until the policies and procedures you know, are prepared. So in the course of developing the policies and procedures, we can certainly incorporate whatever we want. And I mean, it can stay the way it is. It could be something new, it could be a hybrid, it could be a question of what the board is delegating to this committee to deal or not delegating to this committee you know, to deal with. The only question with regard as regards to policies and procedures, or excuse me, as regards to bylaws, is do we want the name to change? Or do we you know, do we want to maintain the old name that we had before, uh, or do we want to go with this new name here? And I so if we want to maintain the old name, I think that we could probably still because you know we're not changing anything that would affect what the Board of Supervisors needs to approve. I just need to figure out if I can make that change before it actually gets to them. Uh, or do we look, you know, it doesn't really matter what the name is as long as we have a clear understanding of what the committee will do and what its purpose is. I just have one more comment, and that's fine, and so I don't want to belabor that, but the other committee, and it doesn't have to be in the bylaw necessarily, I guess it's the Retirement Investment Committee, which is, there's a requirement that a board member be on it, similar to the audit committee, so I don't know if we need to include that in the bylaws or it's another responsibility of the board. But it's not exactly a board committee. It's not a board committee, but it's a board responsibility. Yeah, I, I don't think it's required by the bylaws. It's, you know, but uh, I'll just make a note of it here because we can address the policies and procedures as well, too. At this point, I, I, would, I would be really hesitant to modify and recommend to change anything that in, in the bylaws. Because in fact, we spend a lot of time working with supervisors and the county staff. And I mean, we went through all of that and people had a lot of opportunity to give their input and we thought about it, etc. So I would put that aside and then I would try in the policies and procedures to line it up as closely as we can, still allowing a board flexibility within their own organization, but not to be not to be changing names and to be recreating new committees. Anything that we have to take back to the supervisors, I think, would be a mistake. Okay, I agree. Yeah, I'd love to be as broad as possible, and then all the that's right. And, and the reason we took the reference, sorry, the reason we took the references to the PMPs out of the. Uh, bylaws themselves was to give you the latitude on this right. to do those things and right. not trigger 
the need to take it all back to the board and get these duplicated mm -hmm. or yeah. conflicted uh, versions. And from the point of view of the sort of medical staff issue, the one thing about having the quality, the risk discussions going in closed session for board meetings is that those three medical staff people won't necessarily be sitting in those closed sessions. And it's sometimes, when it's a clinical event, it's sometimes helpful to have them there. Um, but we can, we but there isn't any reason that they can't say, be invited. You, you can get them in closed session. Well, they just usually don't come to closed sessions for the board meeting, so that's all. I, 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 we yeah. just have to think ourselves, our way through yeah. this. Right. Yeah. As opposed to the closed session for QPSC, when they're part of it, they are part of the committee, they're not voting members of the committee. Which yeah, but if you know that that issue is coming up, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be on a closed session agenda right. because it will say that, and then we let them know a week ahead of time, can yeah. they come to that closed session meeting to talk about it. And, and uh, keeping with the uh, process that we've established, obviously, uh, having a board meeting follow generally meeting, um, you now uh, just once, and we probably decided not to do, do that, but you have the ability to do closed session uh, beforehand too, so if you had one of the quality things, just like we moved the public part of the reporting up front, you could use that upfront closed session for those sorts of things that will require you to be there, they're already there, or they could be sort of tight. Sure, and they're not that frequent, so I would think that Unless they become frequent and then you look at a different approach. Because we get more diligent about reporting to the board. Okay. 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 So, um, you know, turning specifically to the policies and procedures. So, the current version of policies and procedures, uh, the first part, you know, there are some general statements and it just sort of seemed like, you know, a collection of you know, various thoughts about you know governance and, and governance standards and then you know, like I say the rest of it is uh, there is a section in there which is the code of conduct and then the uh, rest of it committees to the ER level one trauma level one trauma my suggestion that. in terms of the new uh, policies and procedures you know I just put together a list of items here that I would suggest that reflect, you know, you know, both you know, best practice and, and practicality. So, uh, trustee rules, and this could be, you know, this sort of space, the agreements uh, that we typically include as part of the board agenda, those could be incorporated into the policies and procedures. Um, I would suggest that we might want to have, you know, an actual description of the trustee position, you know, which would address things like attendance, you know, uh, participation on board, any of the other requirements that we have, and to some extent this might overlap, you know, with number one. Uh, likewise, with board officers, you know, do you want to have something in writing which identifies what the responsibilities of, what the authority is of each of the board officers in terms of getting things done? This would be the appropriate place to do that. Uh, trustee orientation. Again, this was something or a, a subject that was handled by the old governance committee, and there is, quite frankly, nothing um, you know, other than you know, uh, some memories about what this <laughs> is or what this should be. You can always invite her back. So I, again, I would suggest that you know, we have within the policies and procedures a section you know, which talks about 
you know, the trustee orientation program, what the content of that would be, and so that way, you know, there's some guidance, you know, particularly for the clerk, you know, so because the clerk is the one, you know, with the administrative this along. Um, we don't have a specific board conflict of interest policy, um, and this is something which is separate and apart, you know, from the organizational's con organization's conflict of interest policy. But, you know, typically I think it's practice to have some written guidelines for board members to understand that point in which they may have a conflict on with respect to board business. Um, so that there's some written guidelines, you know, that uh, board members might understand. Again, it would make sense to have that in policies and procedures. Um, if we wanted to have uh, more formalized guidance regarding uh, sort of the administrative part of the board meeting, um, you know, the, the format for board memos or presentations, uh, we do have some of that. Uh, you know, so, what a PowerPoint looks like, you know, what a board you know, what a decision oh memo looks like. No. <laughs> and, and again, I, I'm. Uh, you, you will note it says for discussion. I'm not saying well, that was you, my discussion. Okay, so be clear. Okay. It's on the other board that I'm on. Um, every document comes with a cover page for the board. It says the purpose of this document, who owns the document, and what is the intended outcome of the document, to a vote, to a discussion, just for information. I like that stuff. I do like that stuff. I don't want to get into how the PowerPoint looks, but sometimes everything's coming at us to such a degree, and Maybe it's because I'm the newer one. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be an item to be, you know, reviewed for discussion purposes. Well, so let, let me say to you, I absolutely agree with you, and I did my very best yeah. to sit down and work yeah. it through. And nobody, there was a minimal amount of, oh, okay, <laughs> but it still has not taken. Okay, it has not taken. So I'm happy to put this down, and I can sit with you, and we can say, yeah, because I'm where she is. But why I said, oh my God, is because I tried to get this thing through, and, and you were with me, and we, it still doesn't. And our policies, the, the guidelines for the board that we, we all agree to, that still is not working. We still don't. If a board member contacts you, the staff doesn't send it to everybody. Uh, I mean, we're, we're still Lucy, developing Lucy. our habits. We're still developing well, our habits. And, and I think that there is a certain uh, benefit to, like I say, integrating some of these individual pieces into a comprehensive process and procedure that, that quite frankly looks more and feels more like a document that governs how the board operates. Because uh, I think that's part of the problem we have is that the way the policies and procedures were put together whenever they were put together, it just doesn't give the sense that it was sort of. Okay. So for, for sake of time and process moving forward, it, it can, can I get, I, I think you're getting from this group, we want some organization, we want things to move slowly. So what is, are, is it you going to put something together? Do you want us to put an ad hoc committee to work with you? How does this get into a formal thing so it comes to us by, and do you have a timeline that you think that this can get completed? Is it July? We're looking to complete our policies and procedures. What, what's your thought process? So, so the first, um, what I was hoping to get today is, you know, any 
specific objections to these items constituting the subjects board or any additional items that the uh, board would want incorporated as part of the document on the process procedures. So, you know, I have a couple of notes about things that we talked about today, which I can add to that. If there's anything else, you know, after the people have had the chance to reflect upon it, that they think should be incorporated, it's not contained on this list and, you know, starting with new issues. You know, because my idea is that, you know, even coming up with a document which incorporates, you know, all of these uh, nine uh, bullet points. Yeah, the one, the one thing that I don't see a bullet that could be part of the board description of duties, I do think we need to call out any kind of board content with the people. There needs to be guidance about Kevin's message management. Mm -hmm. And I would make that a separate bullet just in case okay. that you have some in the future that makes it so people speak with everyone. To Mike, to the the point that we were just discussing about the board packets and agenda, I mean, I feel like Maria very what what we need to think about this, but it would be good like when I get anything, even this materials, it would say how is this impacting finances and patient safety and personnel or something like that. Just so I know, okay, I'm going to go on my computer and ignore it. No, just kidding. But, you know, so I know what, and, and did it come from a committee or did it come from, you know, Terry or Mike or Delbecchio or where it came from? Just so, and do we need action or not on it? Okay. Those are the kind of things. Like there was some confusion earlier about where did the letters come from? Who do, who, do we need action or no action? Can we just say, Michelle, go write a letter? So those are things that would be, that would be helpful. Okay, and I should have, so here are a couple of other things. Um, trustee training and education plan and succession plan. Um, a couple of other comments uh, as well too. And then the last one, yeah, I'm still sort of on the fence about that, what to do with the code of conduct. We should leave it there or should we do something as a separate standalone. So, uh, so, oh, sorry. so to your point, um, here's the other thing. Um, you know, my one thought I had is that I could put together a draft document, I could bring that back, or I could put together a draft document and then at that point work with an ad hoc committee for folks to refine it before bringing it back toward the entire board. Um, and whichever or however. What's your you pleasure? Do, do you have any opinions for it? I, I, I trust that Mike would have some really strong uh, content that he could give us. Yeah. And then I think an ad hoc or a, a, a separate discussion time at one of our board meetings would be fine. Because Once you get the draw. Yeah, I think you you have you know, the language that's necessary okay. to make it legal, formal. Okay. And, and the way, do you want to just bring it back to the entire board? Do you want me to run it you know, past the uh, committee or the trustees before bringing it back to the board? Uh, I think actually that might that might be better uh, to offset um, the, um, yeah, that might be better. What? To, to put it together, mm -hmm. call a couple board members, you could even take it to, you know, you could take it to finance committee, you could take it to QPS, you could take it to, or an ad hoc, or I can just send out a memo and say, Mike would like to meet with anybody, can anybody volunteer to come and meet with him? Mm -hmm. And we can do it that way. And so you can have some feedback from, Board members. So at least 
there you you got a perspective of somebody who's using it mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody who's writing it. Yeah. Yes. And then, Mike, given what we're asking you to write about in terms of process and procedure regarding our board meetings and how we comport ourselves at the board meetings, I would ask that you and Novakio review this final document with mm -hmm. staff so that going forward, anything that comes to us follows this protocol. One of our steps would be to take this to ELT before it would actually get back to you guys. So I would suggest, uh, in terms of the timeline, you know, I think generally speaking, I might you know suggest that um, the plan would be to do this, you know, at one of the next two board meetings. But just sort of given the other things that are in play, my idea is the timeline would be the July board meeting that we would bring this back. Sounds good. To you know, hopefully ready for decision. A very quick question about about the bylaws. That it has the the provision in there about how much money the board members get paid. I know that this would not be a good year to discuss raising that, but that money hasn't changed since the 1990s. And there was an effort uh, in 2008. The uh, the board actually did uh, approve, or this board. Uh, to change the bylaws to increase that amount, they went to the Board of Supervisors and, and, no uh, and it was not, obviously it was not approved by them. So, um, and I think that there, and I heard anecdotally that there were other uh, discussions or requests about changing that over time and all of them have been met with either silence or outright rejection. Seems unreasonable, and it's not because the people who work on this board, as was pointed out earlier, do a lot of work. And I'm not, it's not for me because I'm actually get paid to work here, but um, do you know what I mean? It just seems unreasonable, and I think it's they're just being a little fussy. And um, it's now in the bylaws, it's not going to change for the next few years, but I, I think it's something.